episode 23, The Reign of the Judges. Lo and behold, it's about judges, guess or not. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we're glad to be here with you. We enjoy so much the opportunity to teach the gospel. It is our love of our life, and and just thank you for allowing us to do this. And just for whatever you might want to think for our sake, click the like or the subscribe if you haven't. And share with your buddies. Yep, share. And did I say I'm Farrell? And I'm Rhonda Pickering. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's just jump in. Um, in those days, there were no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, is that a concept that we like in our day? We kind of live by that in our day. Everybody just doing their own thing, what they think is right in their own eyes. Is there a right in your own eyes? Is it relative truth or is it real truth? I guess there's the big question of the day. I would argue that truth is truth, no matter what you think. And that being said... And this is kind of a classic marker for this period of, of apostasy as they yeah. start, as Israel starts to apostatize. It's not what's right in God's eyes, it's what's right in their eyes. And we can take a lesson from that and make sure we kind of line up with God instead of with our own belief structure. <clears throat> so let's just jump into the uh, the stories in Judges. And we're going to hit two or three different stories. We're going to start... Story time. Yeah, story time. <laughs> That's when I'd take a nap if I wasn't telling the stories. No. <laughs> anyway, and when Joshua had let the people go, meaning he had sent them out, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land and the pe people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord and he did or that he did for Israel so what it's really saying is is when the people who lived concurrently with Joshua all passed away well it's just like it always is it seems like we quickly begin to forget and um, so that's kind of the stage. Joshua's now passed, and we are now going forward into the time of the judges. And they forsook the Lord of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. So this concept of... of Forgetting God seems to be a common thing throughout the history of the world. We've seen it all over in the Book of Mormon. The cyclical patterns of forgetting and repenting and forgetting and repenting and forgetting and repenting, or what they call the prosperity cycle, that has existed throughout the history of the world. Do you think it begins with doing what's right in your own eyes and thinking that we're smarter than God? And if there's a marker for our day... Isn't that where we are? Right. Where everybody thinks, you know, there's relative truth. It's just ridiculous. And, and the more and more evidence we have come out proving that the Bible is a historical record and, and the word of God, the, it seems like it's polarizing. And then we have others that are just, even with that historical information, they're just still ready to throw the whole thing under the bus and think that we're smarter than what his laws are. Yeah, definitely think they're smarter or that the truth is just a story anyway. 
Okay, so they've, <coughs> they've gone to serving other gods. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hands of those that spoiled them. So during these period of time when they are drifting off into apostasy, the Lord keeps sending prophets and judges to try to pull them back and try to bring them home. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them, that they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they didn't haunt. So, so... I like your picture. Do you like my, my idols? <laughs> That's pretty amazing. We have a I, golden calf all divided up into the fam most famous idols here. I would think today the entertainment one would have been bigger. That's true, you know, the the big, particularly the, the glowing idols. <laughs> the, the shiny the, images. The shiny yeah. images. Yeah, so all of these idols, and, and you know, this maybe is a marker of my time, because these are the idols more of my my youth, but you're right, there is a lot. Now the biggest idol is entertainment. It's like, what can you do to amuse me? You know, how can I be amused? And... Uh, so we live in that day when we're filled with idols. And, you know, Isaiah would say, woe unto us. Right. And, and it's important to remember that there's, they're not idols unless they're replacing our relationship with the Lord. Yeah, it's not that the things we have have to be idols. But when we make them more important than truth and more important than the Lord, that's when they become idols. I, I like Amraham Gilead's, um <clears throat> definition of idolatry is what... Do you spend your time worshiping? <laughs> yeah, right. What doing, so to speak. Yeah. <clears throat> and it came to pass that when the judges, or the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them and cease not from their own doings or from their stubborn ways. Now, you all, maybe you don't know the history of Moloch, but Moloch, was the God that they brought their infants to and sacrificed their infants by burning them that, that we talked a little bit about in our last lesson. And I, I don't know if you caught the, the subtleties in the picture there, but the, the what's behind the scene in this, this slide is the Bohemian Grove and the big redwoods, which are so beautiful in a way, but has become the place of idol worship of right. the worst kind. The Moloch. And, and you know, and, uh, to just to get how real this is, you know, King Hezekiah, one of the reasons he didn't follow after the ways of his father, King Ahaz, was because King Ahaz, the king of Israel, actually passed his son through the fire, meaning offered his son to and, Moloch. And, and we live in a day where this is hot on the press, this idea of offering our children for our own convenience. I mean, this is a subject that's absolutely hot on the press. I mean, we're talking, this is in the news as we speak, the whole controversy and the whole coming apart of of our approach to these things where we just absolutely, completely at odds in this country where we have no unity, we have no, no basis of God-fearing. We are absolutely not God-fearing as a nation and you know what Ether says, you know, when the majority choose evil, woe unto the righteous. Well, yeah, we're pretty much there. 
Um, <clears throat> so I, I saw a bumper sticker just the other day. It said, you know, free choice is great unless, as long as you, you're not the one being killed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. It's fascinating in Judges it actually refers to the groves. Oh, yeah. And that idea of groves, and I, I know some people might think that's crazy, but the Bohemian Grove is a very much a place of a very elite organization meets there and has their ceremonial offerings, to offerings and worship. And it's just fascinating that, uh, that this, isn't, this isn't make-believe. This is actually real. And and it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it in our isolated little part of our lives where we just don't realize. But the truth of it is, these things are everywhere around us anymore. And, you know, many people recognize that. But if you're one of those who kind of doesn't believe it, you know, I, I just ask you, do a little research. If you don't think these things are real, just do a little research and you'll find they're very real. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Say that for me. I think it's Ehud. Ehud? Yeah. Yeah, I swear I probably would have said it, but I didn't want to trip over it. <laughs> I could be wrong too, so whatever. <laughs> and the son of Gera, a yeah. Benjamite, and the man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon the king of Moab. Um course you find out that presence not not a really nice present by him anyway but what they have is and it's kind of like in the book of mormon where or no it's not book of mormon but i'm thinking of the of the in the camp of israel when he runs a javelin through oh phineas yeah phineas and you know the present is a is a javelin in this instant type concept but anyway so we have a situation where where we have these corrupt societies around Israel that actually burden Israel because they didn't follow the Lord's command when they first entered the land and they allowed these um, treaties and things to happen. And so the gods of these foreign lands and the Canaanites and of the Mennonites and all these, and the Ammonites, these gods became plaguing Israel and they began to overcome their ideology. Well, is any of the ideology that you grew up with being overcome in our day? I mean, we're, we're, I'm, I'm privileged enough to have lived long enough to remember a day when America was very different. (laughs) Um, and I'm not saying that we weren't experiencing trouble, but in my youth, America was quite God fearing. Um, and it was, it was actually a pretty fun place to live. Um, I enjoyed it immensely as a child in so many ways. And now we have grown up into a world that is just hard to even recognize. And that's just in my lifetime that change has taken place in such a vast amount in just my lifetime. Anyway, and he had put forth his left hand and took a dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. There's the gift. Yeah. <laughs> Quite the gift. 
And I'm not going to... It's kind of a gross story. I know, it is a little... There's a, lot <laughs> there's a couple of gross stories. I was going to say, this is kind of the... Uh, um, I don't know what you'd call it. I, I don't want to... The R-rated portion of the Bible. <laughs> sort of, it's not for children well, in for a violence, sense. for violence, right? Yeah. <laughs> for violence or whatever. Anyway, um, I mean, the story and, and the, the guy's quite obese and the knife is swallowed into his belly. I, you don't need the, gross, the de- gruesome details. But anyway, and then Ehud escapes while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped into Sithra, if I said that right. Sithra. Sithra. Something like that. We're glad to mispronounce all these words for you. (laughs) Yeah, you know, truthfully, it's my favorite thing is just to trip you up with my pronunciations or pronunciations. Pronunciations, I think, is the right way to say it. There you go. Very good. Anyway, um, and it came to pass... When he had come, that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount, and he before them. You know, the one thing I appreciate, and and you're going to hopefully appreciate it too, is the significance of the trumpet in Israel. The significance of the shofar. The call. The call call to gather. uh, The call to battle. The call... um, all of it's done with a call, and in the book of Revelation, it's no different. Right, and I was just going to say the, the reason that the shofar is an, uh, an animal's horn um, is because that it wasn't something man-made, because when the shofar is blown, it, it's a call that the Lord will see Israel. And respond to their prayers. So in, in very many ways, the shofar is an ascending prayer to the throne of God. So we see in these stories, it's kind of a, a humbling and a repentance, then a, a deliverance, and then they stray again. And this is just a repeating pattern through the book of Judges, just like it seems to be a repeating pattern in the book of Mormon in the reign of the judges or in the time of the judges, we have similar type parallels between the Book of Mormon and the Book of Judges where we have just such a cyclical falling away and returning and falling away and returning. They're very quick to fall away. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. And they went down after him and took fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of the Moabites at that time 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor, and they escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hands of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. So they actually get a time of peace now for 60 years, four score, no, 80 years, I'm sorry. Um, four score, a score is being 20 years. So they got four score years. So they get an 80 year reprieve here. I was just going <clears> to <throat> say too, and, and this is different from like in the Book of Mormon where you've got Nephi and Helaman saying, you know, you're the brother, Seantum is murdered, the chief judge and everything. Because this isn't, this isn't a secret combination type murder. This is a a hero beginning to fight for freedom, not somebody trying to get their own personal gain. You know, there's we've got to learn to tell. Or the, secret combination. Yeah, say. we've got to learn to tell the difference between these situations. But it is nonetheless the them falling away to idol worship. Yeah, and to 
false gods and but occasionally you'll have a deliverer rise up. Well, and, and that's the beauty of the stories in Judges. They're very famous stories. We'll all remember them as we're going through here. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. So it seems like every time one of these prophets or judges passes away or deliverers pass away, we're quick to forget. And, you know, we see that without a constant speaking out of the truth, it seems like people tend to stray. And I think... Um, in America here, you know, um, you know. Well, and I think it's too, it, it's different than just telling people what to do and being a man of valor, being someone who well, steps forward. Well, the difference between and, leaders in that day and leaders and many times in, is the leaders are more managers in our day. In those days, they were, right. they were in the front. They, right, and they uh, always led the battle. They, yeah. led, they led the charge. They led the... The activity they they were courageous and very bold. <clears throat> anyway, and the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. You can interpret that how you went. The Lord sold them, meaning He allowed them to be taken. Um, well, He gave them the battle at the ford there and freed them. And remember yeah. that that from our last lesson with Joshua, the Lord tells them that if they don't keep covenant with him, then the very same thing that happened to their enemies is going to happen to them. But it does. Then, like yeah, this. Yeah, we see these um, tit-to-tat battles all the time. Exactly, back and forth, um, back and forth. <clears throat> so these tit-to-tat battles are going on, and we we have um, just almost a scourging taking place on and off all the way through the book of Judges. Which is a good thing, I guess, because they didn't weren't able to get quite as far out of bounds as like we're getting in this country. We're getting way well, out. Well, he of bounds. didn't want the children of Israel to get to that point where they would get an utter destruction judgment on them. He so keeps he, trying to call them back. Yeah, keeps sending them deliverers right. along the way, and of course, this is when we start to uh, get a. Rather unique situation in the Bible. I love Deborah. I know. <laughs> and in this situation, we have a prophetess, Deborah, the prophetess, the wife of Lebethoth. I, I, I have no idea. I, I can't do this. But anyway, she judged Israel at that time, and she dwelt under a palm tree of, of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the Mount of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came unto her for judgment. Now, this is... Definitely a beautiful story in the sense that we have a prophetess being spoken of in the in the book of Judges, and Deborah is that prophetess. And of course, you know, I'm I'm biased, but I think we have some very beautiful prophetesses in our day. And I'm not in the full sense of the word you would say it, but <laughs> very beautiful in a sense. But that just in this sense, we're not talking about called. In a different sense, but we're like talking. Isaiah's wife was called a prophetess. We're yeah. just talking about people who love the Lord and know enough the scriptures, to testify. enough to know yeah. right from wrong, like Deborah. And she maybe I shouldn't tell the story, but um, Avram has referred to you that way to me at times, um, and uh-huh. which is really kind of fun. Um, but and I'm not trying to put you on a pedestal by any yeah. means, but I'm just saying it's beautiful when we see 
um, women take a very valiant role in leading out and leading out in the sense of every sense of the word, spiritually and and I love yeah. this, and I love that when the guys don't believe her, she just leads out anyway. Yeah, and well, Jonah Ark is another example yeah. of that kind so of a that, scenario. You know, for our for our, our sisters out there, you know, this is this is a yeah. heroine in in the Bible. And is it heroine or heroine? How do they say that? I would say either or, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what part of the country you're from. So. Well, I spoke Southern Utenese. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, so um, anyway, she stands forth and judges Israel. And we have another rebound, and they come back for a time. And God subdued on that day, jabbing the king before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin and the king of Canaan until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Now, that the story of how he perishes is another one of those stories that's... Well, and you remember, because he doesn't... Um, because the general, the leader of the army, um, doesn't want to do what Deborah says. He says, look, you know, you come with me, and then I know that your money is where your mouth is, basically. And she says, because you did that, you will not get to kill Jabin. He'll be killed by the hand of a woman. You won't get the glory. So, you know, because he didn't have the faith. Right. And and that's absolutely true. We get in the next picture where... his, this like, is another one of the gross ones. Yeah, not not this G-rated scene here, but where he's taken out when he's in a drunken slumber or a slumber. And, oh, he's just exhausted and from the battle. And he's exhausted, and he's taken out by a spike to the head. Not a very pretty picture, but um, it is one of those things where we get to see, um, much like the javelin through the heart, the kind of... Right. And, and she is a heroine that, that saves them from the Canaanite king. Yeah, and so and, this and king battle. is taken out almost without their hands right. because she is related to him. And that, that was a, a curse because of the cowardice, of the cowardice of the general who didn't yeah. believe Deborah. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord again. And the Lord delivered them in the hand of Midian seven years. So we have another case where... They have strayed again. And you notice I'm just going straight through Judges. Do you think that's a play on words? It Um, says that they did what was right in their own eyes. But in this one, it says they did evil in the the sight of the Lord. Lord. Obviously, distinguishing between what's right in our own eyes compared to what's right in the Lord's eyes. And we should always... Well, this is why we maintain the standards so much that you got to maintain word of God speak. Because as long as we can create our own gospel, then we are not in a position to follow God's gospel. So if you, if you can't show it in Scripture, then it doesn't matter. It's just an opinion. And Mine, that, yours, anybody's. And, and we, we love to sing the song, and maybe someday we'll do that for you. Um, Word of God speak because kind of theme song, it's yeah. kind of our theme song because we are totally believe that if it's not in the Word of God, we have no business telling it to you. And so if we can't back it up in Scripture, um, then we we shouldn't be saying it. 
And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because the Midianites and the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. So they they took refuge in in preparing places of hiding. Yeah, they you had strongholds. Of, that you they... think of Afghanistan when I think of that quite a bit. They use caves a lot as well, their Well, and it's kind of another one of these situations where they should have taken them out the way God told them to. In they the wouldn't have this problem. The, yeah. Yeah, all these problems are because they didn't follow what God told them to do in the first place. So all these interactions there with these, I'll call them pagan gods or false gods, is because they didn't follow the commandments of the Lord. And the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I deliver you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hands of all that oppose you. And drove, drove, I guess, that's kind of weird how the way it's spelled it in the scripture. It's actually kind of old English, drave. Drave, yeah. yeah. That is actually the way it is in the scripture. But just know that it's not the way I would say drove them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the God of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. So if we if we obey, we don't have to fear. Now, that's a big thing today. That's rough. <sighs> fear not the gods of the Amorites. I, I'm, I'm worried about fearing the Amorites. Yeah. The ones that are going that they have to battle. So, in our day, if you are afraid of the future, then. So we, we've got about 10 scriptures for you, but commanding us to fear not, um, just like Joshua. Well, I was going to say, then you must not have faith enough. And so we have a faith crisis. If you're in fear, you got a faith crisis. And, and I think we all do at times. You know, yeah, Sure, some, up and down. Yeah, we all go through this these ebbs and valleys of fear. And our faith crisis is, is very real in our day. If you, if you fear prophecy then you kind of have a faith crisis and you have to do a double check. I know for me personally, I'm always doing double checks. We, we have to be able to see both sides of the prophecy, the, the wickedness, but the righteousness as well. And then we have to choose. Choose. What is faith? This That's a big question. To serve God. What is faith? I would venture that faith is not Spiritual constipation. I don't know. Where you got room? I'm going to have this. <laughs> that was weird. Okay. It's a weird one, but it's not this. Ooh, if I believe I'm hard have enough, it's going to be no, real. Faith is action. Um, faith is something that, and you know, the big debate often goes on faith or works. But truthfully, uh, James said it correctly. I'll show you my faith by my action. Right, and in Alma 32, faith is planting the seed. It's it's doing. It's Watering going forth seed. as if it is. So when you see prophecy, you just go forth as if it is, as if God is going to do what he said. And if he's going to do what he said, there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to fear. There is a remnant that stands faithful and true during this time when the judgments come. What part do we want to play? And I deliver you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hands of those that oppress you. So that's the kicker. So if you have faith, he's promised us that he will deliver us. And exactly how that looks, we don't really need to worry about that much. 
Some of us want to be delivered with no inconvenience. <laughs> well, even I kind of sometimes think that would be convenient. <laughs> you know? Um, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, <laughs> Gideon's hiding out at the threshing floor <laughs> from the Midianites. <laughs> the angel knows his heart. Oh, my Lord. If the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where is all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So he's like, Okay, I I kind I believe you, but this kind of reminds you of Moses. You know, wait, Lord, it's just me. Here, who am I? <laughs> Do you got the right? Do you guy? realize who you're working with here? No. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and the Lord looked upon him and said, "Go in this thy might, that thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee?" And he said unto him, "O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel?" <laughs> What do I got is kind of what he's saying. Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. it's Manasseh. I, I thought it was, and then I got I, I think it's fascinating in, in the book of Judges that so many of the different deliverers are from different tribes. I mean, they're just all over the yeah, board. Yeah, the skirmishes are kind of moving around. It's like all of these deliverers, <clears throat> get my parallel here, all of these deliverers are from all the tribes in the last days. Interesting. Cool. You got it. <laughs> and the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that I may talk with me, that thou talkest with me. So it sounds like the Lord is telling him this stuff, but it's not a face to face encounter. At this exact well, it's moment. it's the angel. It's an angel. Lord. And he's like trying to test this angel and saying, okay, I, I want to be right here. And I get this because I had something in just this last couple of years with COVID and different things that are going on in my life where I wasn't sure the answers. And so I kind of did the fleece thing to the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and Please show me. Really. Show me if this is what I should do. And he did. And then I says, okay, now show me another time. Same type of thing. And he did. So is this asking for a sign? What is this? Well, it's different. Is it good or is it bad? What is it? Well, there's a different kind of sign sometimes. Because the sign to whether you believe he is or not is one kind of sign. That's the wrong kind. Uh That's the wrong kind. But in order to not be deceived in a situation. To know his will. And to know his will. Sometimes we ask him to show us that we might be very clear. I, I love um, what Malachi says there when he says, test me, prove me herewith, and see if I will not pour you out a blessing. Right. He wants us to try him on those things of obedience and faith. Absolutely. And so, and Gideon, and when Gideon perceived that it was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. That's comforting. Um, Have you ever noticed when people see angels, I mean, by by far, the bottom line is they're afraid. <laughs> they fall on their face. I think 
I think they mighty must, angels mighty explain. might be a little more powerful than than we imagine sometimes. <clears throat> but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and said, "Excuse me." And he blew a trumpet. There's a trumpet again. And Gideon said unto the Lord, "If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said." Meaning he's saying, hey, you're really going to do this by my leadership? Behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then I shall know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. So he's, he's kind of not really questioning the Lord as far as whether the Lord will or can do it. He's questioning the Lord. Is this your will? I really well, want to know if this is of you. Well, and I and I think it's more than just personal. He realizes that he's going to be putting lives at risk. He don't want to do it on his own whim. Yeah. Okay. And you know, I I get it. I've been in situations where the emotions are too thick and too deep and too consuming that you feel like it's hard to discern the answer in the state of mind you're in. And so this fleece idea is not completely foreign to me. I have... Yeah, have, uh, has the Lord ever answered your prayer when you say, Lord, if if X, then I'll know, then then Y? Absolutely. I, I think that and my prayers have been answered many times. Way. And you're very familiar with the experience, yeah. and I'm not going to I'm not gonna share it at this moment, but I sometimes wonder maybe I should. But, but during COVID, I had such an experience where... I laid out the fleece, and he answered it directly and fast. And I was actually very, very... And I think everyone can experience that yeah. if they trust the Lord. Well, it's that faith thing. It's the act. It's acting as if. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. So we have the situation where he answered it directly, but... What if somebody came and poured a cup of water? Yeah, so Gideon's kind of like, you know, well, that that's good. I believe you, but I want, I mean, this is a battle where people are going to die if I do it wrong. I want to be sure. I really need to know, is this real? And Gideon said unto the Lord, let not thy anger be hot against me. I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee. But this once, with the fleece, let it now be dry upon the fleece, and up on the ground let it be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on the ground. You know, that's kind of the perfect um, contrary absolute. And so, from this point on, he did say, now Let not to, the anger be. Yeah, now we have to okay. Now we got to do it. This is the real <laughs> yep. deal. He's answered me directly. Now I got to act. Be and, courageous. And be courageous. And that's great. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Mennonites into their hands. Wow. So the Lord's saying, You can't just go take them with all these people. Then you think it was you. Right. And least Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, my own hand have saved me. So, you know, we could justify it out at that point. Gosh, when you start thinking about this in end time prophecy, 
and and we're gonna see Gideon is an example of end time prophecy in a minute. But oh my gosh, that I want you to know that I saved you. Yeah, and and this is the kind of faith we're going to need in the near future. What a beautiful thing to have these examples in Scripture that give us types and shadows that we can depend on. The, the, the scriptures actually are telling us the answers to our big questions. Do you think Moses kind of looked at the armies of the Egyptians and thought, oh, wow. I'm sure that thought crossed his mind until he knew the will of God, until he f- knew perfectly well. And, and then it got to the point where... Um, well, like Joseph Smith said, when the Lord speaks, I obey first, <laughs> ask questions later. I mean, he learned that with the 116 pages. Never doubt what God tells you to do. Exactly. And the only thing, and Gideon wasn't really doubting what he told him to do. He's, he, or he isn't doubting to do it. He's doubting that the message is from God. Right, and he's this tr- is what he's getting clear. <clears throat> he's trying to make sure the message is from God, not that... He's unwilling to do it if it is. So that he doesn't do what's right in his own eyes. Yeah, the right in his own eyes thing. Really beautiful. Now, therefore, go proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whatsoever is fearful and afraid, or excuse me, whosoever, big difference, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from the Mount Gilead. And there return of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remain 10,000. So 22,000 are afraid. Wow. And and this is just like when, when they came to the promised land the first time and they said, we're scared of the giants. We're like grasshoppers. Then God said, then I can't, I can't use you. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. So it's dropped down to 10,000. He's saying, still too many. Bring them down into the water and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whosoever I say unto thee, they shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So they go down to the water. He doesn't know the outcome yet. But it makes you realize that the Lord does. He knows what the whole plan is going to be. He doesn't want people that are going to be startled or afraid, tripping over their feet. He's got this perfect plan how it's going to go down and it seems so backwards to what we would think he needs to do right and and that's the kind of faith it's going to require and that's why i've had that we're in a faith situation we're headed into a future of faith yes and if we have faith it's going to have a whole different outcome than if we don't so he brought down the people under the water and the lord said unto gideon everyone that lappeth the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth him shall thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down on his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped and put their hands in their mouths were 300 men, meaning they didn't lap like a dog. I always okay. think about it this yeah. way. 300 of them had manners. <laughs> 300 of them had culture. Uh, maybe that's the wrong word. Class. Um, it's just a mnemonic to help you remember. <laughs> They put their hand in their mouth. There are 300 men, and the rest of the people bowed down on their knees to drink the water. So the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 that lapped, 
will I save you and deliver the Mennonites into thy hand and let all the other people go every man unto his place. Wow. Went Started out with 33,000 men and we got down to 300. And God says just right. Wow. Is this faith or what? When you think about the future, do you have the faith of Gideon? Time to get it, I guess, for all of us. So this heads to a time where they gather about the camp of the Mennonites and they're preparing themselves and they sit about the land in the Midianites and they prepare. And at that point in time, they carry out the instructions of the Lord. And those instructions are, and the three companies blew their trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hand and blew blow with well, and they cried and the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man, and that's what he's telling them to do, and they stood every man in his place around about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled, and 300 blew their trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. So in this instance, of course, we can see that, that he created... Confusion in the camp, and they go crazy, thinking they've been overrun. But there was not so many that that they thought the army was out there. They thought the army was but already some, inside. Somehow, with the trumpets and the shattering of the pitchers and the lights inside, they thought that there were 300 captains of, of, of whole ranks of men coming after them. And it was like waking up to that and panic but in essence it was the lord absolutely and that's the point that's so good to know and this experience taught the camp of israel that that their faith and their their what's the word i'm looking for the lord's strategy works in essence we have we have the answers to all of our fear in faith then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hands of Midian. So the people are back to the place they are all over Scripture. Give us a king. So can I really quick fill in just a couple just, of details from in that In just story? a second. Okay. Let's finish this, this slide, and then I'm going to let you take it, actually. Okay. Um, well, there's just something that happens before they ask him to be king, so... I'll well, you can do it. that if you want. Yeah, that's that. That's why I was just going to say that when when the Midianites are on the run, um, you know, Gideon is a nobody from nowhere. Nobody wants him to be king. They they don't even know if they should follow him. And and what's amazing here is that when he the Midianites are on the run and he tells the men to come with him, he gets Ephraim to come, the tribe of Ephraim to come with him and help him, and they start slaying the Midianites that are fleeing. And then the, the kings, um, uh, the, they go and they hide in, in a cave. And Gideon's intelligence tells him that the kings, the Midianites, are hiding in the cave. And he, they go, he has his men go and block off the cave until they're done with the battle. And he asks the men of Sukkot to help him and to give his men bread because they're weary and they've been chasing these guys. And 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 twice now, the Tower of Peniel and, and the men of Sukkot, they are going to refuse to help 
Gideon. And at this point, they, they, they're telling him, you know, you haven't won this battle yet. The Midianites, they're, they're on the run, but if we help you and we feed you, then when you lose, the Midianites are going to come back and punish us. So we can't help you. That's what I mean. They're, they're not, they're not cheering for Gideon at this point. They're, they won't even give his men bread. And Gideon is furious. And he tells them, when uh, they're delivered into our hands, I'm going to come back and you are going to have consequences for not helping. Captain Moroni. Helping. I mean, it's Israel. They're supposed to help in the battles when they're called. Joshua said, you know, all of you guys, <clears throat> you're all responsible to help the other tribes and everything. And so um, when he does win the battle, and we'll do the story of the kings in a minute, but but when they, he does win the battle, he comes back and one of the the towers he gets the uh, you know the the destruction uh, curse on it, and the other one he takes the leaders and and then he makes a whip, and he has to and he disciplines them for leading the people to be cowards, right, and to not help. And it's it's really important because number one, it's Ephraim that helps with the battle typologically. And then also it's important that that those people who didn't step up and stand for freedom and stand for liberty when they had the opportunity to are going to not only lose blessings, but they're going to have penalties later. And so that's all super important as far as the story goes because nobody's cheering for Gideon to be king until after all of this right. goes down, right? Of course, Gideon refuses the kingship and says, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. That's when we that's go to gonna, Isaiah. This yeah, is, I'm going to let you take this for just a minute, Mrs. Isaiah. And that's right. <laughs> I, yeah, I told him, I says, come on, we got to do Gideon and Isaiah. So we're taking you into Isaiah Illustrated. We're on a page 100, which is Isaiah chapter 10. And just for those of you that haven't watched our Isaiah classes online, just know that um, there is a little bit of a literary structure in Isaiah going on between chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12. This is a section in the bifid structure of Isaiah, and it is the the place where you have a Davidic uh, coronation hymn in chapter 9, and then chapter 11 you have that famous verse that it says that, you know, and a, uh, a shoot will spring up. And then a, a branch from its graft will bear fruit from the spring of Je spring of Jesse. And so we have this servant in the end time that, that, of course, throughout scriptures of the lineage of David. And he rises in opposition to this king of Assyria, this antichrist, this end time bad guy. And so the bad guys in chapter 10, and then you have the Davidic coronation hymn, and then the, the sprig of Jesse going after him. So he's kind of sandwiched between chapters 9 and 11. And that's a literary structure telling you that in the end time, the Lord is going to take the battle. Gideon is going to take the battle against the Midianites. And of course, your Midianites are going to be your king of Assyria and his armies in the end time. And your Gideon is going to be your your servant that rises in opposition to the Antichrist and then the Ephraimites that follow him. And so you've got 
a, now, how do we know? How do we know this all plays out this way in the end time? And I'm just not making this up. Well, you have to go into Isaiah. And we're in chapter 10, in the middle of that sandwich, where, where the king of Assyria is going to get put down. And it says, um, let's see, I think I'm zooming in here. Good. For my anger will very soon come to an end, and my wrath, which is a code name for him in the end time, will become their undoing. The Lord of hosts will raise the whip against him. That's why I had to tell that story about Gideon whipping the the the, the people that didn't help when he needed help in the battle. Those who would not step up. Those who wouldn't step up. And as when he struck the Midianites... And then he adds, at the rock of Oreb. So what is the rock of Oreb in our Gideon story? This is outside of the mouth of the cave. This is where the kings of the Midianites that were hiding in the cave and that got sealed in there after the battle was over, they unsealed the cave and they took him out and they and they took him prisoner. And Gideon is actually going to try and get his son to slay these kings. And he's going to do that thing that we were talking about in Joshua, where you put your foot on the neck of the enemy. That's that that's symbolic throughout the Bible of um, putting your um be, that the enemies are trodden underfoot is how the scriptures say it over and over again. And so anyway, the, the two kings are going to be uh, slain right here at the, at the Rock of Oreb. And Oreb actually is the name of, of it, it means raven. And so it's really cool because you have birds of prey here. You have bad birds of prey and you have Gideon, the good bird of prey that takes these guys out. And that is a wordplay in Isaiah as well. But without getting too much deeper into it, just know that here in the end time with the battle with the king of Assyria here, we have the Lord of hosts raising up a people being led by a Gideon type figure. And it's being right there the raise the whip against them as when he struck the Midianites. So obviously the king of Assyria's armies are dwarfing the the righteous people that are going to stand in the end time. His staff is over the sea. This is Moses' staff over the Red Sea, the sea being the chaos of the Egyptians, but just that hand of God being raised up over them will cause them to be delivered as he delivered them from the Egyptians anciently. And then if we go ahead and go back to chapter 9, when we were having that whole coronation hymn of, of, of the Davidic king here, it says, For thou hast smashed the yoke that burdened them, and the staff of submission. So, of course, in Isaiah, you have the, the yoke is, is the, another metaphor for the king of Assyria. He yokes everybody down. He's taking him into captivity. He's burdening them just like the Midianites did, right? And then there's the staff like Moses' staff. There's a good guy staff and there's a bad guy staff. And there's a good rod and there's a bad rod. Okay, so you have the staff of submission and the rod of him who subjected them. But they are going to be smashed as in the day of Midian's 
defeat. So there you have it again. You have it all in the context of this battle with the king of Assyria, the Antichrist, and the end time, and direct parallels to Gideon, the whip, the rock of Oreb, and Midian's defeat. Um, in the end time, of course, under Moses, you had Jethro telling Moses to set up the judges. And at the death of Moses and Joshua, then you're going to have your judges, your deliverers trying to come forth, trying to rally the people back to Christ. But the amazing thing is that in the end time in Isaiah, that too plays out again. After Moses and Joshua pass away, judges continue to judge the causes of the people, often acting as deliverers when their enemies threaten. Jehovah raised up judges who delivered them out of their hands of those who plundered them. If this is end time, that just means that somebody's going to be plundering somebody. And maybe they'll even do it legally with taxes. <laughs> Maybe it's already happening. And yet they wouldn't listen to their judges, but they went whoring after whatever their gods were in the end time idolatry, bowing themselves down to them. They quickly turned out of the way in which the fa their fathers had walked ouch, and had obeyed Jehovah's commandments, and they were not doing so. And when Jehovah raised up judges for them, Jehovah was with the judge and delivered them out of the hands of their enemies like Gideon, all the days of the judge, because when Gideon dies, they are actually one of his sons is going to turn wicked and take out his whole family. It's really, really sad. For Jehovah deplored their groanings on account of those who were oppressing and vexing them. At the time he restores end time Israel, Jehovah once again raises up judges to judge his people. In that day, Israel's darkest hour, Certain servants of destruction, certain servants of Jehovah act as his people's proxy saviors and Jehovah saving them from destruction for the sake of these servants, their deliverers. And that's just a clue about all the tribes and all the deliverers that are raised up in the end time to save the people from destruction. Israel's end time judges, and I'm quoting from Windows on the Prophecies of Isaiah um, by Dr. Abraham Gileadi. Israel's end time judges assist in purifying and sanctifying the establishment of God's people so that Jehovah may reconstitute all institutions that once existed. And this is Isaiah. I will restore my hand over you and smelt away your dross as in a crucible and remove all your alloy and I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as in the beginning. So we are going to have Deborah's and we are going to have Gideon's and a restoration of righteous people that will stand in the gap. After this, you shall be called the city of righteousness and a faithful city. In the millennial age that ensues, both the king and judges govern God's people in the pattern of Moses and Israel's judges. Moses commanded us a law, the inheritance of the community of Jacob. He was king in Jeshurun when the heads of the people in Israel's tribes gathered together, Deuteronomy 33. And then back to Isaiah, a king shall reign in righteousness and rulers rule with justice in this time. So again, this is Isaiah 
taking all of these heroes and placing them in an end time scenario. But, we're back to Judges, by the way. And he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb to the day of his death. Now we've moved to the story, a very famous story. We all know the story of Samson. And this one is a sad story. A it is a little bit of a sad. deliverer who didn't deliver. Yeah, this is, well, he did deliver, but he fell at the same time. He kind of faltered himself. And the woman bare a son, and his name was Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. So he's blessed. He goes on to have... Um, indignation. Indignation against... towards the Philistines. He conquers many. He he does so many things along the way, and then he falls subject to the guiles of a woman. And in the process of falling subject to the guiles of a woman, he lets down his guard <coughs> and allows her to know the secret of his strength, and it is taken from him. And... In, in actuality, it wasn't just the guiles of a woman because he broke his Nazarite vows on several occasions before Delilah. He, kind of the final, final Yeah, story. when he ate the honey out of the dead carcass, they weren't supposed to touch dead carcass. You know, he, he drank the wine when <clears> they weren't supposed to drink the grape of the vine as a Nazarite. Because we know this story so much, I'm not spending a lot of time here. It's just in the reading. I wanted to not pass over it. Now the house was full of men and women. Now this is it is after he's had his eyes put out. Women. And all the Lord of hosts of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport, or in other words, why they made fun of him and made sport of him. And Samson called upon the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, once or only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. In this instance, he's he's praying out, maybe not completely for the right reasons, but he's praying out. God hears his prayer, gives him strength one more time. And Samson took hold of the two pillars upon the house and stood on which he was borne up of the one on his right hand and the one other one on his left hand. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself of all his might. And the Lord, or excuse me, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon the people that were therein. So the dead in which he slew at his death were more than that which he slew in life, which was a lot. <laughs> so he, he, his last act was to take out this big sport arena of people almost poking fun of him. <clears throat> well, I guess they were pretty much because they'd finally found um, chinking his armor. Yeah, it makes yeah. you wonder what what would have what would have been different had Samson not faltered. Been faithful. Yeah. Well, and you know, I I suppose we would like the answer to that, but we have another case where someone faltered, and yet he his role will be fulfilled again. David of old faltered, and his role will be filled again. And well, and and the other thing I was I was thinking was. What kind of a difference would it make if we don't falter? Hiya!
<laughs> I am. So the answer is we need to stay strong, especially in these times. Now I'm going to jump to the Book of Mormon because I'm going to apply this to us now. We've gone through the Book of Judges and, you know, we see they're falling away and they're coming back and they're falling away and coming back. But unless we liken it unto us, then it seems just a, almost a sad story. Yeah. Yeah, A bunch of sad stories of just not staying obedient, although Gideon was a big hero. We see heroes along the way. Well, even Gideon's story is sad, what they do with his family after he dies. Yeah. So in essence, let's just jump to the Book of Mormon and let's apply it to us in our day. But it is expedient that much should be done among this people because of the hardness of their hearts and the deafness of their ears and the blindness of their minds and the stiffness of their necks. Nevertheless, God is exceedingly merciful unto them and has not yet swept them off the face of the land. If the shoe fits, right? We are in a situation where he has been merciful for a long, long time unto us, especially in the last, you know, time what we've been in 20 years or whatever and he has sworn in his wrath under the brother of jared that whosoever should possess this land the land of promise from the time and from that time henceforth and forever should serve him the true and only god or they should be swept off when the fullness of his wrath should come upon them if you understand the end time scenario the wrath the time of the wrath yeah his wrath is going to be um, real. And now we can behold the decrees of God concerning this land. Now, when we say this land, we're talking this land, the land of Northern America, that it is a land of promise and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall serve God or they shall be swept off when the fullness of his wrath shall come upon them and the fullness of the wrath come upon them when they are ripened in iniquity. For behold, this is the land which is choice above all other lands. Wherefore he hath doth possess it, or he that doth possess it, it shall serve the God, or shall be swept off. For it is an everlasting decree of God, and it is not until the fullness of iniquity among the children of the land that they are swept off. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm the bearer of sad tidings a lot, but truthfully, if you don't see this, this shoe fitting... You're, you know, you're not paying attention. This. Well, this is all tying back into everything we were learning about what happens when the fullness of yep. iniquity comes and you come under the curse of utter destruction. And that, that middle line, for it is an everlasting decree of God. If, if you believe God's not a liar, then this is real. This is real to us right now. And this cometh unto you, O ye Gentiles. Guess who we are? numbered amongst the Gentiles, that ye may know the decree of God, that ye may repent and not continue in your iniquities until the fullness come, that ye may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you as the inhabitants of the land hath hereto to done. Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all other nations under heaven if they but serve the God of this land, who is Jesus Christ, who hath manifest by the things which he hath written. So we are in this place. We are in the place where we need to serve the God of this land. And if the 
people are not, make sure you are. That you might be part of that remnant. That you might be part of this end time scenario where hopefully you can join with 144,000 and go out and rescue people from this time of wrath that is coming upon us. That we can be end time deliverers and the time when the judges are restored and be willing to stand for Zion and for Jesus Christ, the King of Zion. So I'm going to say it again. hey ya. What is hey ya? hey ya. Remember from time before, I am. And what am I? I am His. Amen. God bless you. Till next time. And thank you again for another wonderful sharing of the gospel. Let's rise to the occasion. Thank you.